Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Uncommon Sense with your host, Kevin Tony. that's me. Hope you're having a great day, um, a great morning, a great night, wherever you're listening from, uh, that you're safe and you're well, your family's well. I want to talk today about cancel culture. Cancel culture is it's the new trend. It's been famous and popular for a couple years now, and some things are being canceled. Um, there's some demands for certain things to be canceled, people to be canceled, ideas to be canceled. And I want to get into it um, because I've started thinking about how, you know, cancel culture isn't a new thing. So um, just bear with me uh, as I walk through this um, this issue. So, you know, this time last week, uh, we were going through the, the, the news broke that Dr. Seuss was being canceled, uh, because apparently Dr. Seuss is racist. Uh, he's a closet racist or a covert bigot, however you want to say it. Um, and so they went after him. When I say they, I mean the establishment, whoever determines what we shouldn't be listening to or reading <clears throat> or they determine what they think we should be offended by or we should be upset and emotional by. Um, they've decided that Dr. Seuss is racist. And so six of his books were taken out of publication. Um, I'll be honest that of those six books, I was only familiar with two of them. And that was If I Ran the Zoo and All the Places You'll Go. So here's what's, what tripped me out is right after, you know, when I when I f heard the news and I read the headline that Dr. Seuss was canceled, I went online to see what, you know, I, to read the story. And um, I immediately went to Amazon to try to purchase those books because my son, who's five years old, he loves Dr. Seuss. Um, and he doesn't have If I Ran the Zoo or All oh, the Places You'll Go. So I wanted to get those books to add to his collection. Also, for my two-year-old daughter, who um, she loves Dr. Seuss as well, and I was immediately blocked from Amazon from buying those books, which was a mind blow. It was a bug out to me, man. It was mind blowing um, to me to hear that, you know, to see that I couldn't buy these books, and I'm just like, wow, that that really, you know, that really aggravated me a lot that Amazon had moved so quickly to cancel those books. Um, and then to hear, was it two days after that or the next day, the following day, eBay blocked private sellers from selling the book, um, which I was kicking myself because I didn't think to go to eBay. <clears throat> I think I was just so blown away by the fact that Amazon had worked so quickly to, to, to stop those books from being sold. I couldn't believe it. So, you know, I just started thinking about how cancel culture just overreaches Every single time, like there isn't an instance that I can think of where cancel culture, the phrase cancel culture was used and whatever was being canceled or whoever was being canceled did something that to me personally was offensive. I'm sure there is some person out there who can find offense in anything. Um, so that's why I'm careful to say that I wasn't offended and 
I can go around to my circle of friends, my family members, and usually find that neither are they offended. And I looked at the overreach of cancel culture in reference to Dr. Seuss, and I thought, you know, when I was a kid reading Dr. Seuss books, you know, at no time did I ever feel marginalized. At no time did I ever feel like my race was being depicted in a negative manner. It just didn't occur to me. Dr. Seuss books are fun, fantasy, fiction books. They're silly. They're designed that way intentionally. They're supposed to be, you know, they're books for kids. And yet it takes a special kind of grown-up to determine that these books are um, subliminally conditioning white supremacists or they're emboldening white supremacists by the negative depiction of blacks and Asian Americans. And I'm just like, give me a break. Are you serious? You know, and it occurred to me that the one common thing that I've seen in cancel culture is what they are saying people should be offended about. The target audience usually could care less, but the establishment cancelers, they don't care about that. They just want power. They want control for whatever reason. So in the spirit of cancel culture and thinking about where it's, and I feel like I've said the phrase cancel culture way too many times already, but whatever. Um, in the spirit of the whole concept, I had I started thinking back to some instances where I saw cancel culture happen in my life. And it brought me, brought brought back to my mind three instances when I was a kid growing up where I saw cancel culture, but they didn't, that's not what they called it. It was a different name back then. It didn't, it didn't have a name. So we're going to take a journey back through time. Uh, and we're going to go to back to 1988. And I'm going to show you three references, three instances in history where cancel culture, um, was visible in my life. The effect it, had at the time with that the culture of that era the generation of that era and how it's evolved now and changed to whatever this animal is now today so we go back to 1988 we're going to move to uh south central la this is um around the time that rap music has already exploded uh well has is well established in new york um new york city is the 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 birthplace of rap music it's taking the music industry by storm it's swept across the nation and hip hop and rap has made its way to la and so you have a rap group uh called nwa and they come out with a song called f the police and so the song was birthed out of what these members of this rap group were seeing in their um, community, Ice Cube, Easy e Dr. Dre, um, DJ Yella. Um, they were seeing in their community the treatment of blacks by law enforcement, the police brutality, the inequality of the way they were being treated in the community and mistreated in the community um, and, the, and the stress it caused on the black community. 
on how unfairly that they were being treated. And so they wrote this song to express themselves because they felt like we can't fight the police physically, <clears throat> so let's fight them through our music. So they record the song after police and it gets very popular. The, the song catches fire almost immediately and it puts NWA on the national stage and police across the country didn't like it. And so um, you had all of these government establishments that, you know, were backed by law enforcement that were coming against the 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 song and the group itself. They put pressure on the record label on Warner Brothers to, you know, stop printing CDs and tapes, stop making tapes, stop selling um, the music to stop promoting it. And. It was crazy, man. Like they went on tour and W.A. went on tour and there were stories of law enforcement that were actually waiting for them on these different tour stops. Um, I think it was Detroit, my hometown, where they actually police met them at the concert venue. They was uh, Joe Lewis Arena or was it Cobo Hall? I can't remember. Um, but they met them at the venue and they specifically told them that if you perform F the police tonight, you'll be arrested. So what did NWA do? They performed the song that their fans loved and wanted to hear because they catered to their audience and it was what the audience wanted. So, of course, they played the song. They were arrested. And that was that. Then we fast forward to 1992. We're going to stay in L.A. This is the second instance that I can remember um, as a kid growing up. Uh, 1992, the L.A. riots... The, you know, are, are, are just getting ready to start or they're in the middle of the L.A. riots. And, you know, everybody around the world has seen the Rodney King tape. And everybody was outraged about what was going on. So another young rapper by the name of Ice-T, he records a song called Cop Killer. And um, what I heard was he wasn't even trying to write a song against police officers at the time. It wasn't his idea. It was somebody that he worked with, um, in the record company, in the studio, um, who suggested, you know, there was another rock group at the time that had a song called psycho killer. And his friend suggested somebody should write a song called cop killer. And Ice T was like, well, why don't we do it? And so they, they wrote the song and that song too, became almost um, an anthem for the L.A. riots against, you know, the judgment that came down for the officers that basically got away with beating Rodney King. And so then there was a concerted effort again. The government steps in. We need to we can't have this music. We can't have cop killer on the street. You had all these movie stars that were, you know, I think it was Charlton Heston who read the lyrics on TV with law enforcement and it wanted the U.S. government to get involved and shut it down. And it was just this big to-do about stopping these music artists from creating this music that they were doing. And they wanted to stop kids from buying it. Now, also in 1992, um, we'll leave L.A., and we'll travel back to the West Coast and go down south to Miami, Florida, where there was a rap group called Two Life Crew. And 
they were also canceled. And here's why. Um, or at least they were, they, you know, they, they tried to cancel this group. Two Live Crew, uh, the lead singer of their group, Luther Campbell, they were, they were a rap group that basically made party music. All they wanted to do was make hip-hop for people to dance to. They were party rappers. And they opened the door, um, and they are... <laughs> we can thank, basically, we can thank Luke and 2 Live Crew for what we call twerking today, uh, for twerking. Back then, when it came out, it was booty popping, booty shake music, um, and they came out with an album um, called Nasty As They Want To Be. Now, here's the difference between the music that N.W.A. and Ice-T put out and what 2 Live Crew did. 2 Live Crew's music was party music, but it was sexually explicit. And it was it was so sexually explicit and graphic to the degree that there was an effort by the legal system locally in Miami to stop radio stations from playing the song. Uh, there was a song, their first song, Me So Horny. And they didn't want that song on the radio. They didn't want, you know, the record company playing it. They even went to, you know, they got the law involved and uh, um, they got a judge actually um, agreed that the song was obscene and shouldn't be sold. And so there was a period where record companies were not allowed, uh, record stores weren't allowed to sell the Two Live Crew album. You know, there's even a story of a record store owner who was arrested because he sold the album to an undercover police officer. And this guy went to jail. I mean, so... Uh, here's the difference with, with Luther Campbell and, and two live crew and the other two, um, rap groups, Luther Campbell fought back and he fought back for his right to perform the type of music that he wanted, you know, based on freedom of expression, freedom of speech, you know, the freedom to create. Um, and so he fought back. It was a big legal battle. It went all the way to a U.S. district court. And the U.S. District Court sided with the music group. They sided with Two Live Crew and said, yes, they should be allowed to create this music. And it was a huge victory for the music industry. I mean, a massive victory for music, for rap artists, for musicians, period. No matter what genre you, you, of music you are in, you know, basically this judgment by the U.S. District Court basically said that you can pretty much make whatever music you kind of you want to is is freedom of expression and is protected so here's what's interesting about all three of these instances all three of these um these cases these stories where the establishment the government came against nwa they came against ice t they went up against two live crew but what all these groups had in common at the time is when the establishment came to try to cancel them, these groups' audiences, the people who were buying their music, they leaned into the message that these artists were um, promoting. And they went out and bought the records in mass. Their, their popularity went through the roof. The record companies were at a crossroads because they were making money from record sales 
but they were also getting heat because of the content. And so they were like, what do we do? We're making a boatload of money off of these groups and these record sales are through the roof, you know, but at the same time, people don't like it. So what do we do? And in the end, you know, cash rules everything around me. So uh, money won. King, you know, the, the record companies flourished. These artists got name recognition that they didn't have before. The bad press was great for business and it skyrocketed them. And the audience leaned into it and said, if this is something that you don't want us to have, you're telling me I got a grown up telling me I can't have something as an adult. I'm going to rebel uh, as a teenager or a young adult. I'm going to rebel against that um, notion and I'm going to buy what I want. I'm going to you can't tell me what to do. So now we here we are. Fast forward, you know, cancel culture's back. They've labeled it. They've given it the phrase. And. What they decided to do is what they learned is the establishment, and, I, and I'm using that term, the establishment, to, to talk about whoever they are. People in government, whatever you believe, whatever your ideas about who calls the shots in this country, who controls what, whatever your ideas about that, they're the establishment. So fast forward, what they decided to do this time is they said, you know what, last time we tried this, we went after the artists themselves and said what we tried to get them to stop and that backfired on us. So what they do now is they don't target the artists, they target the audience. So me as a consumer, the establishment starts to promote and send information my way that says, you should be upset about this. Look at this. This is offensive. This is bad for you. This is hurtful. It's insensitive and blah, 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 blah. And for some reason, how society has changed in this generation from, you know, my generation, kids and teenagers, you know, even a a lot of young adults, sadly, are weak minded. They're easily manipulated. They're thin skinned. Um, They have no sense of free will. And so they go along with what people tell them and, you know, with how people tell them they should feel. And so you have this, this community out there, people that are like, yeah, I, I do think that's offensive. Now that you mention it, I don't like it. I have a problem with that. And it's like, okay, so now the audience turns on the artist and they start demanding the artist apologize. And you shouldn't make this kind of music. You shouldn't write these kind of books. You shouldn't tweet this. You shouldn't say this on social media. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they want... An apology. They demand an apology. And what do these artists do? Because this is a part of their livelihood. They want to continue to create at least to some degree. So what do they do? They apologize. They bend the knee. They bow down. They kiss the ring. And they say, I'm sorry. They give a disingenuous apology. uh, And they go on an apology tour. And there are even some instances where you know, that they're, they're made to take sensitivity training. You need to be more sensitive to your audience's feelings. You need to be more sensitive to the way they feel. Blah, 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 blah. What, whatever. I mean, listen, if it works for you, that's fine. But don't try to tell me it's supposed to work for me and it doesn't. I have a choice to listen to the, the music I want to listen to, to watch the movies I want to listen to, to read the books that I want to read. I just, for somebody to come and tell me that I should be offended 
and not give me an opportunity to find out if I'm actually offended or not and then take away that option. You know, because I haven't read the other four books that Dr. Seuss was canceled, that were canceled, um, I don't know what was in them. So I can't I can't make up my mind to say, well, yeah, this is kind of racist. Yeah, this is offensive. I doubt very seriously that I would feel that way, but I don't have a chance to investigate for myself now because the establishment has gone through this digital book burning of we're not even going to give you a chance because it's um, we don't like what, what's being said and we think you shouldn't like it either. So it becomes, you know, the difference between hate speech being a matter of speech that you hate. And it's just, it's unbelievable, man. Like, I, I can't believe how we've gotten to this place where we're just, we just take whatever they shove down our throats and we just swallow it and say, please, thank you, can I have another? And we don't want to think for ourselves. We don't want to take time to find out if we're actually really offended. Nobody wants to think critically. Nobody wants to think rationally anymore. We just go along. And it's dangerous. It's scary. It really is. I mean, I can even go back to when they when Twitter canceled, uh, when Twitter banned President Trump from social media. And then every other platform followed suit. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. They all TikTok. They all followed in line. You know, Shopify. We're not, you know... And, you know, they're not, it just, it was crazy how they all followed suit, you know, to ban the president, the leader of the free world, because people felt like some things he says are too, too harsh for my thin skin. I can't take it. I can't take his, his, um, alpha male demeanor and it's too much for me. So he shouldn't be heard. And he should be silenced. And so what happened to me was, you know, the president was the litmus test. He was the test. And when everybody across the country celebrated the cancellation of the president of the United States from social media, through that celebration, all those people did was give the establishment permission to do it to everybody. And they said, well, you celebrated when the president did it. This is the president. So you won't mind when we do it to your boss or the CEO of a company or your governor or your mayor or anybody in a position of authority or even you yourself on social media, we're canceling you because we don't like what you said. And here you think that you're in, innocent. But it's all fun and games until it affects you, until it affects somebody that you know. You know, I know stories of people that have had their Facebook accounts suspended for 30 days and get put in facebook jail because they said something or they shared a meme they just shared it they didn't even comment they just shared it here comes facebook we're we're, we're suspending your account for 30 days because you're sharing harmful uh, or what we deem is hurtful i mean come on it's it's ridiculous it really is ridiculous it's tired i'm sick of it i'm tired of it and we have to fight back. I remember uh, the Gina Carano interview with Ben Shapiro that aired a couple weeks ago. He interviewed her after she was canceled from Disney and The Mandalorian. And um, she talked about, they said that her 
her comments were instant. She tweeted a photo of, you know, and then she was, uh, it was a photo of, um, I can't think of what it was. It was something to do with the treatment of, uh, people, uh, as opposed to how we're judging people for their opinions now, as opposed to how the Nazis did it. And I could be wrong on that, but anyway, um, and she talked about how Disney called her in and told her that, you know, she had to apologize. She really didn't want to apologize because she didn't think she'd done anything offensive, but she was willing to meet them halfway. And they tried to actually, she said they tried to actually get her to agree to getting on a Zoom call with 40 people from the LGBT community so that they could take turns telling her why she was insensitive and why she should be more careful with what she says. And why would anybody subject themselves to that? Why would I sit and be a punching bag for 40 people that I don't know and just allow them to tell me and reprogram me? It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, you have Disney, they own Marvel. And what did, what did they do? And, uh, it made me think of the, the scene in Winter Soldier, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where they brought Bucky, uh, the Winter Soldier back to the lab and they set him in the chair and, um, uh, the, um, the guy comes in and he, and he says, we need to start over again. And, you know, the, the doctor, the professor or the scientist is like, well, his mind is not ready. And, and the other guy was like, well, wipe it and start all over. So we're going to do a, they're going to do a mind wipe. They're going to wipe his mind clean and give him some new thoughts and some new ideas. That's all that is. And so I'm listening to her talk about how they wanted her to sit in this zoom. And I'm like, why would anybody do that? Why would, why would they, why would they think that she would just go along with that? So, um, so they canceled her and it was a wrap or so they thought. Uh, but she's fighting back against the cancel culture, which I think everything, everybody should do. Everybody should fight back. You know what I mean? Um, they're trying to cancel Pepe Le Pew now. You know, he's the next target. This week is Pepe Le Pew. We want to cancel <clears throat> Pepe Le Pew because he promotes rape culture. He's promoted rape culture over the years and he's dangerous for kids. Are you serious? So... We can cancel Pepe Le Pew for um, promoting what they say is rape culture. But the new Eddie Murphy movie, Coming to America, the sequel came out last Friday. Which, in my opinion, was a bad movie. Um, it, met my <clears throat> it met my expectations because I expected the movie to be bad because Hollywood is just not good at making reboots and sequels. Today's Hollywood is not good at it. They're horrible. Um, the movie wasn't particularly funny to me. If you've seen it, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you know, I, I feel like this. Had I gone to the actual theater to see the movie, I may have asked for my money back. But, you know, I was curious about the movie because I'm such a huge fan of the original. The original Coming to America is a classic that just should not have been touched. And that's Hollywood's problem. They don't know how to leave well enough alone, which is another episode for another day. But they did this movie. And I was just like, you know, how are they? The storyline is, you know, Prince Akeem finds out that he has a 
son that was left in America that he didn't know about. 30 years later, he's finding out that he has a son. And I thought to myself, you know, well, they didn't show any instances in the original movie of him, you know, tipping out. Because in that movie, he was chasing one woman. He was chasing her for love. He wasn't just trying to sleep with her. He wanted to, it was somebody that he truly wanted to be with. And so I was curious to find out how are they going to tie this in. And so when they told the story of what happened, basically in the nightclub scene from the first movie, Simi, you know, talks about how he, Eddie, uh, Prince Hakeem met some girl in the club and went back to her apartment with her. And she proceeded to drug him and rape him. Now, they didn't say that in the movie. They made it a joke. And she got pregnant. And that's where the bastard son came from. The long lost prince of Zamunda. She drugged him and she raped him. And everybody celebrated it. But Eddie Murphy's not going to get canceled for that. Leslie Jones is not going to be canceled for going along with that joke. It's all funny. It's fun and games when it's on their terms, but it's the same concept. So down is up, up is down. One plus one is seven. I mean, come on. I don't understand how people don't see that. And if you haven't seen the movie, sorry, not sorry for the spoiler, because it just was a bad movie to me. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. Um, they just could have left well enough alone. So, so this is where we are in America. This is where we are. People get in their feelings. People get, get triggered. I don't understand what it's like to live in a perpetual state of triggerdom. To live in a perpetual state of just being in my feelings where everything upsets me and I'm offended and upset by every single thing that happens every day. I can't, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how anybody lives that way. So. Anyway, um, cancel culture sucks. Um, and, you know, the question is, how long are we as a society going to put up with it? How long will we tolerate it? That is the question. So it's for you to decide um, if you're going to live with it or not. I'm making the choice where I'm not going to live with it. Um, so there you have it. So anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you for listening. Um, if you want to give me some feedback or if you have any questions, if you want to share with me your instances of cancel culture, uh, give your opinion. You can email me at uncommonsensewithkt at gmail.com and I'll be back. Peace.